0: You're listening to the Real Estate Entrepreneur Podcast with Terrence Murphy, where we cover sales, investing and entrepreneurship with an emphasis on real estate. Each podcast, Terrence and his guests will bring you informative and inspiring information within the real estate industry.
1: Welcome to another episode of Real Estate Entrepreneur with Terrence Murphy. Uh, I start off with a quote, this one short, and it says, teamwork is the fuel that allows coming people to produce uncommon results. And so you need a team. But um the brother I brought on today has got some really amazing information, something that I've really delving into with the commercial space, and uh, I want to welcome Yona Weiss to the show today. Thanks for being here, bro. Yona is a powerhouse with property owners, tax savings. As a business director at Madison Specs, a national cost segregation leader, he has assisted clients in saving tens of millions of dollars on taxes through cost segregation. He has a background in teaching and a passion for real estate and helping others. Yona is a real estate investor. He is a host of the top podcast, Weiss Advice.
0: It is my pleasure, Terrence. Thank you so much for inviting me on.
1: Yeah, man, I'm looking forward to uh, building our friendship. Obviously, we'll start here, and then you just never know what, what God's got in store in the future, man. So just tell us a little bit about your story. Tell us how you got in the space you're in, how you are involved in the real estate space, and just you know, let us know who you are. Absolutely.
0: I actually spent a, around 15 years or so as, as a teacher and doing many things, in kind of the nonprofit world. And that kind of, I wouldn't say fizzled out, but it, it really transitioned a few years back, about five, six years ago, when I realized that I really need to do something more, I need to, to find, uh, first of all, a, a way to build more wealth, you know, for my, my family. And uh, I looked around and found real estate, real estate was really one of those Avenues or opportunities that had so much to offer, and I didn't really need to go back to school or to get any formal education to do. And just reached out to a bunch of friends and figured out, you know, who were in the real estate industry and figured out, hey, how can I get involved? What can I do? And I really just started mentoring, uh, taking on some mentors and apprenticing other people who were experienced. And little by little, I realized, wow, this is incredible uh, people in this industry. So many opportunities. And one thing led to the next. I did some commercial mortgage brokering for a little while. did some residential um, you know, brokerage. I did some fix and flips. Tried out a di- hand at a lot of different things until I realized my passion was really always was in teaching and mm-hmm. was in education and was in helping people. And I wasn't really getting that fulfillment through the things that I was doing. I was never really a business person per se and, and running after the money and all that stuff it really didn't matter to me as much. Uh, and I came across this company, Madison Commercial Real Estate, Madison Title, maybe you've heard of it in Texas. Madison Specs is the the company I currently work for, which focuses on cost segregation, helping people save taxes, real estate investors saving taxes through this, this really cool process. And I didn't really know anything about it at the time. This was like six years ago. And I was like, okay, let me let me learn about this a little bit. And I found this is just a way to help people Uh you know, and the biggest thing that I found was nobody knew what it was. Mm. And so I reached out to everyone. I was like talking to people, all my friends who were real estate investors, people who had been in the industry. And like, either people knew exactly what it was, and they used it. And they're like, right, high level, or no one had any idea what it was, there was no middle ground. Okay, so I I saw this as a huge opportunity to use my kind of skill set, which is teaching people kind of getting the word out education, and uh, combined with the business development of this company, uh, which is really, in the end of the day, helping people. And that's how I see it, at least. So that's what I started doing and been doing it very well, become like the world expert on this subject. And, uh, uh you know, hashtag cost seg king, that's what they call me. And <laughs> that's what we do.
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's how I found you. <laughs> exactly. It's working. <laughs> it works. Well, and like you said, it's a really a small community. People who buy multifamily around the nation, obviously, I'm one of them. People who develop neighborhoods, people who... um or in this space doing those things. It's really a small community that, you know, it's everything's referral based, relationship based. And yeah, that's how right. I found you, bro. You got a great name in the space. And I was like, I got to get this brother on the show. So yeah, man, we're going to dive into that. So let's, let's just break it down a little bit. Um, so you were investing, right? You were doing real estate and you decided to start teaching and really creating this niche. Um Yeah. Is there anything about the investment space that you use to kind of pivot into this? Like, did you, hey, you know, these are some lessons that I took away from being an investor? So I, I really, you know, brought it along
0: with me. And I've actually continued kind of took a pause on the investment side for a little bit. But now, since I've been involved in the space a lot more, I've continued on that journey, meaning in a different uh regard. So I'm still investing. And one of the things I'd say that that I took along with me was the power of. Networking, right—the power of connecting with people and making, you know, creating those relationships and just keeping them going—and and that's what I found, especially through the use of social media, specifically LinkedIn, which is really my go-to, has been just an incredible resource for me. So that's kind of taken off. Um, using investing, obviously, you gotta. There are so many different aspects to it. I'm not really good. And I realized when I was doing this fix and flips and stuff, I was not really good at, at dealing with contractors. I was not really good at underwriting, even though I I could do it. I was not really good at um, at even like the acquisition process. But I was really good at talking to people and mm-hmm. you know speaking with brokers or or speaking with uh, investors or potential investors. And so I kind of honed in and what my skill sets were and figured, okay, I got to partner up and find other people who are good at the other aspects. And make sure that each person can bring their best.
1: I love it. Have you read the book Who Not How? Yeah, that's yeah. that's a popular one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's what you did. You said, I'm gonna find my who's and I'm gonna focus on what I'm really good at and, and I'm gonna leverage the rest, man. You know? And I think people think real estate entrepreneurs have to do everything well. And it's like in sports, like, you know, mm-hmm. um, Jerry Rice didn't snap the ball to himself. He didn't kick the field goals, he didn't call the play, he didn't throw it. Like he he couldn't do it at all, even though he's a great athlete. You you know, Peyton Manning can't do everything. So you gotta figure out what you're really good at and double down on that. I always say this on the podcast. So if you've heard this before, bear with me. I'm gonna say it again. But when Tiger Woods was at the pinnacle of his career, he was doing an interview. And at that time, they said, Hey, Tiger, what do you practice on? And he said, What do you mean? He said, Well, you're Tiger Woods, you're the best golfer in the world. What do you do at practice? Yeah. He said, I, I hit my driver. And they were like, What? They said, right now you have the highest percentage of hitting fairways. You hit it the furthest. Why are you hitting your driver at practice? He said, because I'm doubling down on what I'm, on the, I'm the best in the world at, right? And what you would mm-hmm. think is the world makes us think we have to go work on our weaknesses all the time. He's like, no, man, double down on your driver. So when I tell people that I coach, I always say double down on your driver. It's like double down on what you're great at already. So you did that, that's man. excellent. Yeah, that's awesome. That's bro. excellent
0: advice. That's That is amazing advice. It's so true.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah, man. So double down on your driver. So when you see me at at a multifamily (laughs) conference or something, I'm going to say, hey, Yona, double down on your driver, bro. Um, So, yeah. So when you're thinking about real estate, right, it's a wealth building asset. Let's let's talk about it. So how did you move into cost? Let's just start off with this. What is a cost segregation study?
0: that's it's something and like i said before most people don't know what it is Correct. and it's essentially what it is is a real estate tax deduction okay that's all it is it's an advanced form of this deduction called depreciation which maybe you've heard of before if you do residential or you do commercial any property you buy you get to take a tax write off an income tax write off called depreciation based on the value of the property at the time you buy it okay or really based on the purchase price mm-hmm. and the IRS, just it's basically a gift, so to speak, in order to reinvest into the economy. Right? The IRS is saying, you buy this property, we're going to allow you to take this huge tax write-off. And you're literally allowed to write off the entire value of the property, but you can't do it all at once. Okay? That's, you can't do it all at once. You have to spread it out over like this long, arbitrary number of 39 years or 27 and a half years for residential yeah. or uh, multifamily. Well, that's still a long time to wait. What cost segregation does is a weird name, but what it means is taking the cost of that property that you bought it for and breaking it down into its components, segregating out, so to speak, personal property from land improvements, from the building, from the structural components. And that's what we do. We do an engineering study of the property and break down the individual components, find the value of all those individual components, and then take those tax write-offs at a faster rate because there's certain things you can write off at a five-year period or a seven or 15-year period as opposed to a 27-year. So we're able to accelerate depreciation deductions to increase cash
1: flow in the earlier years. Correct. So for my audience who may not know, we broke down cost seg. Let's just go back. So you said residential is 27 and a half years, correct? Yeah. Can you walk me through the different segments of what the years are first from the depreciation standpoint? And then we can kind of backing into it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, there's really, when people don't know what cost segregation is, and even a lot of accountants don't really know how cost segregation works. All residential properties, including multifamily are going to depreciate on a 27 and a half year schedule, meaning you take that purchase price, subtract a small amount for land, which does not depreciate. And then the remainder, you're going to divide by 27 and a half and just take that as a tax deduction each year. That's it, a little bit each year. But really, that twenty-seven and a half year is really just the structural components of the building depreciate over that time period. Okay, so there are things uh, that depreciate on a five-year schedule, and all those things that are non-structural. Think about stuff like carpeting or furniture, appliances, fixtures. Even window treatments or cabinets, anything again inside the building that's non-structural, all of that has value. And identifying that value, you're able to now take a tax deduction of those those costs, right? Well, you can't really know what that is when you buy a multifamily property for like a million dollars. You don't know how the, what the cost or what the value of all those individual, how much the cabinets are, because they're all part of the whole that whole purchase, right? We're kind of reverse engineering the property uh, from an acquisition. And breaking down all those things based on the purchase price. And so those are some examples of the five-year assets. There's also something called 15-year depreciation category, which is land improvements. That's stuff that's outside of the property that depreciates faster, like landscaping or pavement, uh, signage, if you have any fencing, anything that's outside that actually has value on top of the land, not the land itself.
1: Love it. Love it. Man, that's awesome. Great explanation. So- what are some pitfalls? Right. Because, you know, one of the things I'm real big on is I want people to know the pros and the cons to everything. So mm-hmm. we talked about the pros. We're able to depreciate it. We're able to get a lot more tax capture. We're able to, you know, write up against our income or NOI or whatever. Right. Um, what are some cons? Right. I, and, and I kind of know some, that, but I'll let you say and and we'll, we'll keep going. So what are some cons to, uh, to you know, cost segregation?
0: Yeah, obviously, you talk about the pros, which are getting more tax deductions up front. When you're doing that, we're not creating tax deductions out of thin air. What we're doing is taking this pool of potential deductions and accelerating a portion of them, right? We're able to front load, if you will, uh, maybe 20%, 30%, depending on how much it is. But the con of that really for a lot of people is knowing that when you sell a property, you are subject to what's called depreciation recapture tax. Okay, So anytime you sell a property, you have a capital gain tax. You know what that is, right? You made money, you have made a profit, now you have to pay tax to the government on that. So too, this depreciation recapture tax is a capital gain of sorts, because you've taken the benefit of those deductions, now you're going to be subject to a tax on the sale. So if you take more deductions up front, then you're going to have more of a tax on the sale. Now, there are ways to get around that. You can infer that through a 1031 exchange, uh, similar to the capital gain tax deferral, and you can use other losses, other deductions in the same year. If uh, if you sell a property or you buy a new property in the same year of the sale, you can actually use those losses to offset those, ca- those gains, those uh, depreciation recapture. But that's the biggest downside. I think the other uh, thing that people don't think about enough, it, you know, it, it sounds like this great idea and this thing called bonus depreciation, where you're able to take this huge amount up front. And people don't really think about it, I'm like, well, do I really need that? Like, mm. not everyone is really taxable. Not everyone is really cash flowing, and not everyone has that huge tax liability that they're able to, to utilize, especially with smaller properties, uh, or or something that you know you you may not be a real estate professional. You may not be able to maximize all those deductions. So for someone like that, that's really going to be just uh, kind of a waste of energy.
1: No, I love it. That's great. So when you think about is there a like whenever you do a cost segregation and I know people are going to ask I'm just asking questions that I know people would ask me or Go for they're it. going to send me Absolutely. In, is is there a certain price point where cost segregation makes sense? And then the second question is is there a certain hold time where it's like hey, the property needs to be a million dollar asset or more and you probably need to hold it for at least 5 years. I'm just talking out loud. And obviously there's no perfect science, but you know, you get it.
0: Yeah, of course. I think the the benefit of, uh, of the cost of irrigation is going to be proportional to the purchase price. So if you have a million dollar property and you can take 20% upfront, Right, that's could be two hundred thousand dollars. Right, yeah. that's very beneficial from a tax perspective. And but if you have a hundred thousand dollar property and you can only take twenty percent of that, and that's you know twenty thousand dollars, that's gonna be much less beneficial, obviously, if, especially since there is a fee involved in actually doing the cost segregation. It costs a few thousand dollars, and so you got to weigh that out. Is it worthwhile to get this you know low tax? Advantage? So my general rule of thumb is there's no like concrete answer because everyone's situation is different, and for some people it may make sense even on a smaller property. My general rule of thumb is anything over a half a million dollars purchase price is a no brainer. I mean, okay. there's so much benefit there. It just makes sense. But even on smaller properties, especially nowadays, we're doing a lot of uh, short term rentals, a lot of Airbnb type properties where you own a lot of the furnishings, you own a lot of that personal property, you're going to get a lot more bang for your buck on the cost of irrigation. So even on smaller, like 20,0, $300,000 properties, there's going to be benefit there. So that's From the, to answer the first question, from a cost point um, perspective, anything over, I'd say $200,000 is worthwhile looking into, but anything over half a million is is like a no brainer. No brainer. Uh, But in terms of how long you should spend, how long, you know, what's the ideal hold period? Uh, Again, everything always depends on the facts and circumstances, but generally speaking, anything over a two-year hold is yeah. really going to be beneficial because anytime that you're if you're just buying first of all if you're doing a fix and flip uh, this is something a lot of people don't really know that's not considered a rental property so depreciation and cost seg, which is really just d- depreciation can only be taken on a rental property but if you're just flipping something that was never placed in service as a rental you're not going to be able to take depreciation on that, you're not going to be able to do caustic on it. But even if you're holding it for a short period of time as a rental, well, you're going to get the benefit. But if you go ahead and sell it after a year or or two, you're going to be bit with that, that recapture tax on the sale. So the benefit is going to be a less, uh, less, you know, a shorter period of time. Although now that I'm thinking about it, I mean, and recently, especially with recent news and inflation, how high it's going, you know, the time value of money of actually having cash, in your hands, right, to reinvest and not have to give to the government. If they're giving you this option, and you know how to make more money, I mean, any smart real estate investor knows, if I can have this cash, and I can deploy that today, and make, you know, a return of 10% or 20% or 30% on that in the next couple years. So I don't really care if, you know, if now I'm going to be subject to a tax in a a couple years from now, I'll figure that out later on. Smart investors may even benefit from
1: having uh, even a short hold period. No, I love it. I'm just writing notes, man. You got my mind going 100 miles an hour. Yeah.
0: I, <laughs> I talk fast. <laughs> no,
1: no, it's good, though. It's good. And um, So I, I have one more question, and I know we're really diving deep into cost seg, But if you're holding a property, I've also had these conversations. Let's say you buy a multifamily. You do a cost seg in the first two years, and you hold it for another five, six years does it ever make sense to do a cost seg again? And if it's a long-term hold, is it like every five years, every three years, every seven years? What are your thoughts around that?
0: Sure. So you're really only going to need to do a cost seg uh, once. It's a one-time thing in okay. most cases because you're you're depreciating the property you're setting that up, your depreciation schedule for the life of ownership. There you the go. The only time it will make sense to follow up and do another cost seg is only when you're going to be doing major improvements. Mm-hmm. Because those improvements, like if you're doing a major value add, right? Let's say buy a property for a million dollars and then a couple of years later, you do some renovations, put in another two, three, four hundred thousand $400,000. Well, those two, three, four hundred thousand $400,000 were not included in the original uh, purchase and were not included in the original depreciation. But now that money is being added into the property and being added to your tax basis. So you can depreciate that and do a cost segregation on the improvements later on. So that would be the one case where you would need to do a follow-up, like not a, another total, but just kind of a supplemental based on the renovations.
1: Love it. Love it. That's awesome, bro. Is there anything else there that you feel like we need to cover on Cosset that we might not have- Um, you know- yeah, you know, there
0: is something I kind of mentioned in passing, but it's an important topic. There's this thing called 100% bonus depreciation. Yeah. And, and what that is, it was a law that was introduced a few years ago with the tax reform that allows you to take 100% of those accelerated depreciation deductions in the first year. Wow! Now, that's something that has been just kind of blown up the real estate industry over the past few years since that was introduced. And that gives you a huge, you know, a huge tax write off right up front. And so that enables people to you know, basically pay zero taxes and just redeploy that money, buy another property and keep scaling at a much faster rate. Wow. Uh, one thing I will mention about that is that it's in the books right now and the tax code is going to be starting to phase out. This uh, 100% is going to go down next year. So this year, 2022 is the last year to take advantage of the 100% bonus depreciation. Next year, it's going to go down to 80%. And then it's going to phase out 20% each year. So now will be the time, the last time that you can really maximize the benefit of cost of irrigation.
1: That's why multifamily is so competitive right now. <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> one of the reasons. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's the best asset class in the world right now. in Industrial too. I mean, you're getting 16, 17, 18 offers on a $50 million asset. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. It's crazy, bro. <laughs> like this is what you see on a first time home buyer, you know, market, not a $50 million asset. So. All right, brother, that's really good, man. That's really good. I mean, we that's that's awesome. So thank you for doing that. Now I want to jump into some of my questions. Um, I know you're like, dude, you already been asking a lot of questions, but we got Go this for. one <laughs> section top. <talk. laughs> we got this one section called Coming In Hot. So I'm gonna rapid fire you, I'm gonna hit you with five questions real quick. You just answer them in one sentence or one word. You ready? Let's do it. We did say we were gonna have a stopwatch, right? I need to get a stopwatch, bro. I'm, I'm finna, I'm finna time you. I'm finna time you, you Hold on. It's like running a forty-yard dash. Here we go. Are right, you I haven't ready? Done that in years. <laughs> you ready? Do you have a college degree or no college degree?
0: Yes, I have one.
1: Okay. What was your greatest challenge as a child?
0: As a child, my greatest challenge was probably being being the youngest of three boys. <laughs> being uh, the baby. I was. Yeah, being the baby.
1: That was Getting me too. on. What was your first attempt at entrepreneurship?
0: Um, First attempt at entrepreneurship was probably, to be honest, the the fix and flips that I did uh, a few years back, five, six years ago.
1: Love it. What was the worst real estate advice you've ever gotten? The worst.
0: Worst real estate advice I ever got was about four or five years ago from a very respected gentleman who said, the markets are too high right now. Just keep your cash. Don't invest anything. Stuff is going to crash and you'll uh, save your cash for the opportunity that's going to come.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then who is the person who made the biggest impact on your career?
0: Um, wow. I think, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk made a huge impact on uh, on the way that I saw marketing and personal branding. So that that's really changed a lot from what I did.
1: All right, one sixteen, brother, one sixteen.
0: Not what? bad. It's better what? than my forty yard dash. I that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> We're gonna start tracking that every every time. We're gonna start tracking that. So that's the that's the mark right now, one sixteen. All right, man. All right, got some more questions. So, if I was a new real estate entrepreneur trying to get into the space, I'm willing to do the work. What are, What are the top three things you would tell me I need to do? Number one. Educate
0: yourself, uh, listen to podcasts, find out webinars, find out different ways uh, that you can just learn everything there is to know about real estate so you can find that one thing that pulls you the most because you can get involved in real estate in so many different ways, but you have to go after one thing, right? You can't pull yourself in in 10 different directions. So educate yourself, that's the first piece of advice. Second piece, which really couples with that is find a mentor, find someone who now that you've figured out what it is that you want to do, find someone else who is really successful in that specific thing and reach out to them, offer to to do something for them for free, okay? Just apprentice them or or offer to do something, take something off their plate, right? Do not, and I heard this from from a very, very smart individual, do not tell someone that you want uh, to apprentice. Don't ask someone, how can I help you? now you've just given them another job to try to figure out what it is that you can do. Go out of your way and offer to do a specific thing for them. Take something off their plate. Don't give them another job to do to try to figure out how, how they can help you. Um And then the third piece of advice I would say is, uh you know, is, is be humble, right? Don't, don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't think like, Oh, I'm, I, I'm so smart. I can do this on my own or I don't need to, you know, ask it's not, you know, didn't reinvent the wheel. People have done this for for centuries, right? Being successful in real estate. Figure out who, who those people are and don't be afraid to ask questions.
1: No, that's good, man. A lot of wisdom there. What is one thing in the real estate market that should be on people's radar that's not on their radar? Um, short-term rentals mm-hmm. is,
0: is an asset class that I've seen a lot recently and is probably the, the fastest growing uh, industry right now. And there's so much growth and so much opportunity for it. So if it's not on your radar yet, like Airbnb is short-term rentals, self-managing them, especially, or if you want to be a manager yourself and manage other people's, that's also a
1: huge, uh,
0: a huge way to make, uh, make money.
1: I love it. That's the first time somebody said that, man, that's good. And when, when you feel like, as a real estate entrepreneur or in this space, if you're ever losing momentum, what do you personally do to kind of get yourself back going? Because, you know, we always hear about this person's success track record and, you know, the call said king, right? But like you have bad days and bad weeks and bad months, right? But what do you do personally to get yourself back going again?
0: You know, one thing that I live by and I try to do all the time is just help other people, right? Go out of my way to try to connect other people. And so much success can come out of those relationships or those introductions that you make, that that should make you feel good. And so for me, if I'm like not being productive or I'm not, you know, I'm in a, in a, in a rut or whatever that is, the easiest way to get out of that is to just focus on other people. Wow. Try to figure out how I can help other people and get out of myself. Because a lot of that is just you're thinking about yourself. You're thinking about how I'm doing, what's my, you know, actions, what's that going on. But when you just get out of yourself and figure out how I can help other people, how I can do that. That will take you right out
1: of that. Wow. Bro, that's deep. (laughs) Don't look inward, look outward and go help other people. Wow. That's awesome, brother. All right. So next three, three questions again. It's not the rapid fire. I'm not going to time you, um, but it's going to be quick. So what's your secret to good time management?
0: Ooh, I don't have a secret for that.
1: (laughs) You're like, I'm still trying to figure it out right now.
0: (laughs) I am trying to figure it out. Yeah. I think the biggest thing that has helped me is uh, is I use the Calendly app that just schedules out my day. A lot of times people just schedule stuff. And so if it's on my calendar, it's going to happen. If it's not, it's not.
1: There it is. I always say it. I say it all the time. If it's on your calendar, it's going to get done. And if it's on your calendar, it's important. Mm-hmm. So when I really started putting everything on my calendar, I mean, my lunches with my wife, my meetings, my calls, my, you know, everything like Pick the kids up at this time, take them to school at this time. Like it really, it kept people from blocking out that time, you know, like, hey, I wanna, yeah. you know, cause if not, emails and people will run your schedule every week, man. Yep. So that's good. What's your secret to good branding? Obviously, Kaw said King. So, you, what's your secret to good branding? Like, what did you pull from Gary Vee? You said it earlier.
0: 100%. So many things from Gary V. but the secret to good branding is consistency is really just consistency just saying that same message over and over and over again so that it's in people's faces right if you uh you know if you see a a commercial right and it's the brand is just jumping out in your face you're gonna remember it it doesn't matter right but if if it's not if it's really vague and at the end of the commercial you're like what what was that a commercial for like it was good acting but like what I don't even know what that product was, right? That that's not gonna stick out. It's not gonna, you're not gonna remember that. So just stick to your whatever it is, your tagline, your brand name, whatever that is, so that every time people see you or your name, they know exactly what it is that you do. They know exactly who you are and what you do. Like that's it. Consistency and uh yeah.
1: Love it. Love it. And what is your best strategy for educating yourself? Like when you're like you said, is it what are you doing to like really invest back into you?
0: Uh, you know, I spend a lot of time every day and, uh, you know, did it for years, but spent a lot of time in kind of spiritual growth in, uh, you know, looking in texts and, you know, scripture and these kind of things. So that really brings out, you're working a different part of your brain. It really allows you to be open to, to take in so much more throughout the rest of the day. So even that's a little bit of a more esoteric approach to things. I mean, I definitely listen to podcasts and I'm a very good, Listener, I host my own podcast, so that's how I do. I the One thing that I do, I listen to other people who I interview and learn a lot from them.
1: I love it. I love it. I love it. Last couple questions, bro. What is the technology that you're using that people need to know about and use, or what's the technology that has really made an impact in your entrepreneurial career?
0: One of the best I already mentioned earlier is Calendly. Yeah, Calendly. Like that app really has changed, uh, has helped tremendously. Uh, there's another... You know, and LinkedIn has been another one that has uh, really helped me tremendously. There's another really new kind of fledgling business-oriented, like B two B social networking app called Bizfluence. Uh, a good friend of mine actually started that, and uh, and I'm. It has a lot of great opportunities in the works right now to actually help people through the platform. You know, transact with one another and stuff like that. So it's kind of taking LinkedIn to the next level.
1: Yeah, I mean, I love LinkedIn and. You Know, I had a really good community, but man, uh happy congratulations, happy birthday messages, and then like the bots. Man, we got to clean the bots up on LinkedIn. <laughs> <man>. Like, <laughs> I get a hundred million messages a week, and I'm not trying to sound cool at all because they're just bots. <laughs> yeah, but I'm like, yep. man, it's just like, man, LinkedIn used to be so solid, and I just get drowned on there now. So, but I, I still do love LinkedIn, like you said, it's professionals, there's not a lot of politics and arguing back and forth it's just business let's just get to business and I still remember years ago it was right during the election somebody got on there talking politics man and the people on LinkedIn like jumped all over them they're like go to Facebook with that go to Twitter get the <laughs> hell out of here with this this is just business and I was like wow you got to be careful on LinkedIn um, so but yeah man uh, last question what's the craziest story you have in real estate there was like this happened like, what's that, what's that like crazy story that happened in real estate?
0: Um, wow.
1: Crazy story. Yeah. Let's,
0: yeah. Uh, thankfully I have not had many crazy stories. Good. That, that That's true. That's, um, but I haven't been involved too much in the transactions. Wow. Crazy story. You know, I'll tell you one interesting, crazy story that maybe is a lesson that all of us can take. I had a guy who was owned a lot of real estate and he approached me about cost segregation. So we're going to take this lesson it's just from my business, but we can take this lesson in sales and, and everything. The guy came after me, like chasing me, like I really want to do this Own like 25 shopping centers, like shopping malls, like big properties, right? We quote him a price is huge, a lot of work. Quote him price he's like, no, 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 half price. Like I can't spend that much. Like from the first phone call, wanted like a huge discount. To me, that was already a red flag, mm-hmm. but I'm like chasing like, listen, this is going to be like, it's like a six figure, you know, a client, you know, we're going to make a lot of money for him, you know, chase them like going after him. Finally he signs up 21 properties, signs up, right? Let's do it. Okay. No communication, nothing going back and forth. No answers. We got to do the site doors, nothing. And then not even paying up Right? we have a retainer up front. No, not paying nothing. Ended up doing, you know, two proper, two studies for him, never paid. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then he comes back to me. Uh, sorry. I only want to do three in the end, not 21. <laughs> it's still never paid. I had to literally drive to this guy's office and, and pick up like wait there until he would actually give me a check. And I just saw the guy was totally out of control. His office looked like the biggest, like, cr- like filing, like his, everything was in paper, like filing cabinets. Like he was running 21 shopping malls by himself. Wow. Like crazy. Like you didn't have property management. You didn't have, it was crazy. And I was like, wow, this guy's out of control. Like I should have recognized that from mm-hmm. the very beginning that this guy was not someone I wanted to deal with. And so the lesson I learned from that really was a lot of times we're, we're kind of tempted by like, oh, this is going to be a big client. It's going to have a huge deal, like the potential, but you got to listen to those red flags that that pop up right at the beginning. You're like, mm, it's too good to be true. Well, let's just pass on it.
1: Yep. Yeah. And that's so hard because like you said, it's right there. And I can't tell you how many clients I've dealt with like that that were multi-million dollar ranch buyers or multi-million dollar homes that just run you in the ground. And when it's done, you're like, man, I could have did 10, 15 other transactions dealing with that, right? Yep. So yeah, man. So I have all my guests recommend the book. And I always say, Hey, why did you recommend this book and what did it do for you? And and you you send and sell like S- Sir Hand, right? Uh um, oh yeah. Yeah. What why did you recommend that book and what did it do for you?
0: Ryan Serhant, if you haven't heard of him, incredible uh, entrepreneur. Uh, his book, Sell It Like Serhant, has really taught me a lot about marketing and about personal branding. I had mentioned Gary Vaynerchuk earlier, the same idea, but this guy like doubled down on being uh, just getting his name out there and being you know, the customer service just with every single person, just being uh, being there for them, learning what it was that your client needed, you know, things like that, and kind of going above and beyond. So I learned a lot about, about sales through that, not like selling per se, but really just about being good person through that, you know, and that always made sense to me, right? My, my ideals and fundamentals are totally aligned with that. But I didn't see how that kind of related to sales. I was Mm -hmm. like, Oh, if you're just a really good person, I actually genuinely care about people and try to go out of your way to do things for them. Uh, Sincerely, then they'll end up using you when they need that specific service, whatever it is that, that, that they need. Right. Yep. Not because you're trying to hit them up and sell them, but because they like you and because they recognize you as someone that they can trust. You hit it on it. Um, so,
1: yeah. You hit not it as a quote that people do business with people they like and trust. That's simple. Yep. And you just said both of those words. And yeah, I always say leave with value, man, leave with value. You know, if you leave with value, it will come back to you for sure. So final thoughts to our audience and then where can people find you?
0: Best place to find me is on LinkedIn. You can definitely do that. Make sure to uh, to mention that you listen to to Terrence and I on this podcast and you can go to yonawice.com also to find out other things that I'm working on.
1: Sweet, bro. Well, thank you again, man. I want to connect with you soon. And um, yeah, man, I, I, I thank you for your time. I know this is going to be a great episode. And when we put it out, we'll make sure we send it to you.
0: Awesome. Thank you again, Terrence. It's been a fun.
1: Yeah, it was awesome, bro. Thank you.
0: Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of The Real Estate Entrepreneur with Terrence Murphy. Please subscribe on whichever platform you are listening and consider leaving a five-star review as that will help us gain traction and continue to bring you knowledge in the real estate industry. For more content, head over to TerrenceMurphy.com.